Welcome to the Soil Solutions Podcast. I am your host, Jessica Nadd, and this podcast is being produced in partnership with High Plains Journal and Great Plains Regeneration. With me today is Zach Stuckey. Welcome, Zach. Hi, Jess. Thanks. I'm so excited to be here. You know, with High Plains Journal and the publisher, it really is my mission as a son and grandson to grow or just here in the heart of Kansas that we make sure soil health and our content is always practical and real. And no matter what cropping system you're in, that it impacts your bottom line immediately. Excellent. Healthy soil equals healthy people, planets and animals. And we're excited to be here. Welcome back to the Soil Solutions Podcast. I am Jessica Nadd, your host. And today I'm super excited because I get to talk to Christy Apple, also known as Crop Scout Christy. Christy, how are you today? Happy to be here. Thanks for uh, thanks for the invitation. I'm excited to be able to visit with your audience. All right. So um, Christy, you have been working in this agricultural space for over 13 years your bio says that you're leaning deeply on your customer service and communication skills. You have built up a reputation as being an ag sales powerhouse, but also you have the heart to educate and engage folks both inside the agricultural sector and outside. Um, traditionally, you kind of got your start with um, traditional row crop farming, but you have expanded your business into working with vineyards, orchards, hemp, and numerous other specialty crop scenarios. So welcome to the show. Let's fill in a little bit more about that bio. Tell me a little bit more about yourself. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I spent, um, I spent about eight years in the traditional non-agricultural professional space, um, in marketing sales and communications. And so, um, that, that kind of gave me a really neat foundation or perspective when I did enter the ag industry. Um, first of all, I didn't have some of the um, bad habits that are taught in college and the preconceived notions of traditional crop fertility and integrated pest management. I came into the industry without those biases. And so it's been really, um, really fun for me since minute one in my career, having the perspective of the impact of the soil for every single decision and choice we make. So the filter being every pass I make on my field is either going to help or harm the soil. And so what are my choices? What is the impact of every single decision I make and, and the context of how it impacts soil quality? So um, that has always been just, uh, you know, kind of that foundational filter that I've always put on in my ag experience, um, even when I was working with your traditional row crop farmers. So everything from, you know, your cash crop, grain commodity grain producers to livestock producers of varying sizes all kind of have these specific challenges. And so when we when we were making those choices or when I'm trying to sell the farmer on a concept idea or product, I have always kept that filter of, is this going to help or harm our soil goals? And um, so that's been, you know, that's really blossomed, especially in the last five years, as I've jumped over into the specialty crop space where those producers are actually creating food that's going direct to table um, or going direct to, to human consumption. And so the, the onus is upon the farmer to take things to the next level. 
um, as far as how you are doing, how you're doing it right. Are you doing it right? And is there really such a thing as doing soil health right? And so um, helping farmers to understand these definitions and especially with these these different type of producers that are growing food for direct human consumption, their filter looks very different. They have quality measures to maintain. They have food safety measures to maintain, all while still prioritizing soil quality, water infiltration, and the respect of having that soil and waterways relationship being um, you know, first and foremost. So yeah, yeah. There's, there's a lot there. There's a lot to unpack oh there. It's great. And, and, you know, Jerry referred to that relationship, soil, water, air connection. And, um, you know, you talked about um, soil health is the foundation of what you do. It's the foundation of your consulting work. It's the foundation of um, the work you do as a, as a social influencer, as a teacher, as a mentor. And personally, every time I talk to you, every time I see you and I watch a YouTube video or videos that you're on, you do, you encourage people to level up and you've done that for me along the way. I like your approach of soil health through knowledge, through systems approach. So when a producer comes to you and wants to uh, refocus that pyramid to have soil health as the base, what are some ways that you get started with producers? So I, I kind of have a system that I've implemented over the years and and we, we literally draw a pyramid on a whiteboard and, and it helps for me to categorize farm decision clusters. There's, there's decisions that have to be made about absolutely everything we do, right? From the, the fuel that we put in the machines to the, you know, whatever, the color of paint of our equipment, all the way down to what seed selection um, and, and everything in between. And so I've kind of classified these decision clusters into categories and so when we start, you know, sorting through each of those decisions, I'm asking the question and I'm challenging the farmer. In what ways is that is that priority serving, whether it be soil health or serving your yield goals or serving your farm longevity plan? Like those are really critically important to ask because we have become a we have become an agricultural society chasing bushels. And when we get busy chasing bushels, we can achieve our bushel goals. We can achieve 300 bushel corn consistently in certain areas with the right amount of IPM, with the right amount of fertility, we can make it happen. For those of us that are not able to achieve those goals because of our climatology or because of our soil structures, it really it gives you an opportunity to say, is really bushels the goal? In my opinion, return on investment would be the goal versus chasing bushels because some of our highest chaser yield chasing farmers that are getting a ton of publicity are spending ridiculous amounts of money inputs energy carbon to make it happen and um, so I guess my my response is if we're going to be chasing bushels then I'm probably not the right agronomist for you I'm chasing longevity of the soil I'm chasing in my my opinion we should be chasing things like, you know, opportunities to recover soil quality, water infiltration. Chasing water infiltration, in my opinion, is probably the single biggest thing you could do for your farm. If you ask just like broad acre farmers, what's the, what is the most important money you've ever spent on a field? Guarantee you, they will say either tiling or irrigation. Like literally, it's all about water. So getting water away and keeping water where it needs to be, right? Like that's one of the biggest conundrums that farmers face. 
whether or not you're a, a climate change subscriber is irrelevant. The fact remains, if it rains and you don't get the water to penetrate through the soil, it's not going to be where it needs to be when you're trying to grow a crop. And so what, focusing on water infiltration as part of one of our primary objectives, that relates directly to soil quality. It relates directly to yield. It relates directly to tilth. It relates directly to the soil's ability to cycle nutrients. And um, so, it, you know, water infiltration being a primary goal. Now, how we achieve those things can be a, a whole series of, of cultural practices that help us to achieve that. But we have to keep the realistic thought process in our head is it isn't just one practice. We aren't going to go to the cultural practices store, buy one practice and implement that on our farm and somehow magically think that this is going to do something for us, right? So every choice you make is going to affect the other. And that's why I like to use a whiteboard. We erase a lot. We rearrange things a lot. And it helps me to understand where that farmer is coming from with their soil quality priorities and their farm priorities. And then I have the ability to influence those priorities maybe with some different practice shifts or with different product choices, that type of thing. So, I mean, it's- Or even timing, you know, we've talked a lot about that too. So let's chase water infiltration for a moment. What are, what are you doing to measure water infiltration? How do you determine um, where an operation is at or a field is at? Um, what tests are you doing out there to help visualize water infiltration? So water infiltration can be measured and monitored in a in a series in, in a myriad of ways. One of my one of my favorite tools or demonstrations that we've done um, working with our Michigan State Extension is they have basically a water infiltration table, you know, showing what it looks like with with diversity of living roots, what it looks like with some crop residue and different uh, soil structures, and they simulate water, you know, pouring onto this, and then what is captured. And I think that that tool is, is a wonderful visual tool to help farmers and, and really stakeholders of any kind, consumers should be shown this test so that they can understand when they, when they make choices in the grocery store for something that's produced in a regenerative, you know, a cultural practice or some type of certification of, of cultural practices for ag production, I wish that they could see what living roots do to water infiltration and how vastly more infiltration we can get in those situations. Um, as far as actually doing the test in field, um, it's a little more complicated, but what we, what I try to push people to is, is sharing YouTubes of these types of demonstrations being done or sharing our extension group um, in that, in that way, um, so that we can show, you know, you get in a pickup truck with the farmer after a rainstorm, and ride around the neighborhood. And you'll be yeah. able to see who has proper tile, who has good water infiltration, whose tiles are running like crazy into the ditches, right? Along with the soil. Um, you know, who's got, we working and living in the Great Lakes watershed system here. I'm, I'm physically located in the geographic center of the state. Not too many miles west of me, the rivers start flowing west. And um, so, you know, we are surrounded by water in watersheds here in this community and in this state. And so when we're making decisions um, about fertilizer, you know, nitrogen choices, phosphorus choices, potassium choices, micronutrients of any kind, um, you know, how it affects our water system is really, is really critical to understand. Um, unfortunately, we get a lot of press on the problem. We get very, very, very little press on solutions and on the engagement of 
of the agricultural industry who plays a role, but isn't the primary culprit, right? There's a lot of factors that have impacted how much nutrient is in soil are leaving our farms these days. And one of those things is, you know, we've cleaned up our airway, you know, we, we've reduced uh, smog in the air over the last 40 years, which is, you know, incredible. And that served a really important goal. But as a result, we're no longer get acidifying rains, which is slowly, gradually impacting our soil pH and the solubility of certain nutrients in the soil with that lack of sulfur being applied there or being, you know, distributed in that way. So we've slowly started to see greater amounts of runoff of things like phosphorus, soil leaving with phosphorus attached um, in, in, a, in a way that's, uh, you know, unsolubilized. And so it becomes a pollutant at some point in the, in the food chain or in the, in the uh, ecosystem. We don't want any of that. And that is a unintended side effect of achieving one very important environmental goal. So it's important when we talk about these systems approaches to not get caught in the quagmire of a single practice and, and, and be so laser focused on changing one thing. If I, if I had to change just one thing, it's going to affect all the things, right? So it goes back to having that conversation of that systems approach and being willing to adjust priorities to preserve soil, to, to improve water infiltration, and to ultimately keep nutrients where they're supposed to be and keep the soil microbes busy doing what they were created to do. And that's to cycle nutrients and digest soil residues. I love that comparison. I hadn't thought of it that way, Christy. You're right. Um, over the last 40 years, we have come very far in reducing air pollution and increasing air quality. So let's put that focus back on the soil. Um, you talked about, you think every consumer should watch the water infiltration or the rainfall simulation. NRCS in our area has, has the, the big portable demonstration in every event that I do. I always try to make sure that they are there and they're giving that demonstration and that we record it and that we put it on social media because it's it becomes such a no-brainer decision. And you mentioned the consumer that trickles down. I can't buy a pair of jeans for my daughters right now without any brand that's in the department stores having something on their label about water quality and cotton. Um, and there's programs out there that, that producers are working on. There's apparel companies that are partnering with producers to demonstrate better water efficiency. And we see a lot of that in our area. So you definitely bring up some powerful information about how we need to be looking at water, among other things. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things that, um, you know, the textile industry you know, struggles with is in the actual processing and cottonizing of, of the fibers. And so this is true in, in lots of other um, fiber oriented or fiber for textile oriented cropping systems, not just cotton. So it's, re, it's, it's a, a very water intensive process to create cottonized textiles. And um, so, you know, there's, there's water quality objectives that are being associated with their industrial processes. But those water quality objectives have not yet translated back to the farm. And, and so we, we think of cotton as an agricultural crop and we look at a tag on there that says we, we care about water quality and this is what we're doing or this is our personal statement about water quality. And it, may, it not, doesn't always translate back to the farm. It doesn't always translate back to what's happening at the, at the field production side of things. So, you know, it takes people like us who are willing to do the the, you know, dirt work, shall we say, 
we partner with farms on, on how to improve water quality so that, you know, a company that has a sustainability objective, you know, not even in the context of carbon credits, but just in, in responsible, in responsible production and in sustainable production can actually say, you know, we are partnering with farms that are prioritizing water quality, water infiltration, you know, that type of thing in, in these ways so that our, we can have, you know, a full life cycle product be sustainable and what that um, actually <laughs> means instead of having it be gimmicky and marketing, you know, marketing collateral, it can actually mean something of value. So I have a huge heart to partner with farms in that way. I work extensively in the industrial hemp space. And, um, and although textile production for industrial hemp is a ways off from being, you know, launched here in the States, we, the U.S. is a, a huge importer of hemp textiles, but we're importing them from all other countries because hemp has, up until just a few years ago, been under prohibition for production mm-hmm. here in the U.S. And so I've learned in, in my, my area of expertise being the field production has caused me to be, you know, to gain this point of view and perspective about the other aspects that are being affected when a company says, this is our water quality objective. What does that mean? Right. It isn't just the grocery stores. It's the clothing stores. It's these other spaces that consumers are engaging with and they don't really have a full concept of that. So I've made it my mission to highlight and and emphasize what we're doing with our water, the way that it connects to the soil quality, the way that it translates into yield and, and field performance for that farmer to sustain their business because that is critical. Farmers need to be financially sustainable through this as well. Um, so, you know, these things are all really tightly connected and wo- woven together. And so when I when I take this like whiteboard approach to these conversations, these are the things we talk about that's important for farmers to have that point of view the other direction, the same way as it is as equally important as a consumer to be able to look back to the farm to where that crop, where that produce where that cotton or water hemp may have originated camelina and some other things that are are being produced right now for bioplastics same kind of deal you know we want to make sure that we're we aren't just less reliant on petroleum based plastic products we also want to make sure that in order for us to achieve that we aren't sacrificing water quality in some way yeah so you know those are those responsibilities fall on us as the agronomy community and on the farmers to to make those shifts before industry demands it, right? It's okay for us to be sustainable and be OG sustainable, right? (laughs) (laughs) Well, and that's kind of been the theme of our other podcasts that we've had so far, because we, we have had folks that have been in this industry that have been dialed into it for a number of years. And as a follow-up, we're going to be adding in um, some producers that are are new to this philosophy and this mindset. And we want to hear their perspective because you and I have discussed in the past that we're seeing a huge shift. We're seeing a huge shift in soil health. Um, two years ago, pre-COVID, we were we were out here beating our own drum and, you know, kind of having our own parties trying to figure out soil health. And now it has exploded. And the amount of um, contact that we're getting now from people outside of agriculture wanting to learn and wanting to engage has been absolutely beautiful. So I'm going to let's go on a hemp deep dive here in a second. But I have a question I need to ask you. Okay, as it turns out, cover crops don't work here. 
because if we're going to grow cover crops, it's going to take the moisture from that next crop. And, and I've had this conversation multiple times through our in-person events. And, um, I always want to gain people's perspective on this because that's not the right framework of thought at this time. So, so talk to me a little bit about how the cover crop increases your ability to use moisture for the next crop. So I understand your perspective on that, Jessica, and and I, I have a deep appreciation for it. In fact, I just recently visited with a very successful farmer operating in uh, Northeast Colorado, and they don't receive enough moisture to have a cover crop. Um, but what I think is really fascinating um, or, or is, is an alternative, um, because when we think of cover crop, we think of it as some type of nurse crop, right? So it's holding soil down for us. It's doing, it has a purpose. Um, but what if we change our mind sh- mindset and maybe not think of it as a cover crop, um, because that's more like a regional dialect, right? So here in Michigan, we, we can cover crop gets, can get unruly because of our amount of rainfall that we have here. There's parts in the Northeast and in, in, in the Virginias and the Chesapeake Bay area where the waterfall is so rich that they can, they can grow anything on accident. Okay. And that's, that's true here in Michigan and our crop diversity speaks directly to that. So in these areas where you're not getting enough rainfall or more arid climates that wouldn't necessarily support that just from a water consumption standpoint, why couldn't we, instead of using a cover crop, why couldn't we use multiple short season crops through the course of the growing season and keep something growing on that all year round? So taking advantage of our small grains um, through, you know, fall planting or, you know, where they wouldn't winter kill. And then when we harvest those small grains in the spring or for forage or whatever that may be, then come back again and plant another crop in there so that we're getting multiple crop diversity within a relatively short period of time. Yes, the concepts of multi-species root diversity is one of the fundamental pillars of regenerative agriculture. But what that does by creating those labels and, and those boundaries is it says, okay, well, if you can't do this, then you're not regenerative. And that's hogwash. That's absolute hogwash. That is, you know, we need to we need to take a look at what other crop species could become cash crops for us. And instead of looking at how many thousands of acres do I need to plant of all of these things, how many hundreds of acres do I need to do on a on the scale that keeps us profit, profitable and keeps my rotation in a regular movement. You know, we have we grow crops here in Michigan, for example the potato industry, um, the sugar beet industry, um, pickles. These are, these are crops that are extremely hard on the soil. And just, it, just by nature of how they're cultivated and how, they're, how the, all the cultural practices associated with them can be very detrimental to soil health. But you know who our biggest adapters of cover crops and multi-species cropping systems are? Those guys. They've got with the program. They have recognized that if we are going to be a commercial scale chipping potato producer and we do not implement some type of crop diversity through cover crops, even if it is just a uh, soil retention rye, if I just implement something to hold my soil together, I'm going to encourage water infiltration. I'm going to encourage biological diversity and nutrient cycling because of my practices, the, the, the equipment and the integrated pest management plans has caused some of these soils to become very depleted in productivity. 
But with the introduction of just a cover rye or just a clover of some type somewhere in the rotation is encouraging the, the biological recovery that's, re- that's necessary to build soil aggregates, right? Every time we till the soil, we're breaking apart the soil structure and we're releasing CO2 into the atmosphere and we're creating uh, a, a broken home. You know, we're, we're, we're destroying the foundation and the uh, living quarters for the micro- microbes that want to exist and function there. So if we can just limit that, even in just a small quantity, taking one step in that direction, you're going to see improvements, right? So for people in your neck of the woods that don't have as much success with multi-species cover crop, maybe that isn't where they, maybe, maybe the change comes in adding a rotational crop that has the ability to do a soil recovery purpose, right? So it can be a multi-purpose crop that has a very unique root structure, for example. I'm doing a um, a soil health study. I was just awarded a USDA grant um, this year. I'm very excited to be able to to put this project in front of people. But what we're looking at is taking industrial hemp, for example, which is planted like wheat and harvested like hay, and utilizing this extremely unique root architecture in a rotational basis to bring some diversity to your corn soybean guys, right, or your corn wheat farms. And, and that alone, just introducing something else that can have multi-purpose, right? So our roots are doing the work. We're adding biological diversity. We're adding, you know, root exploration there. It's having all of those, those properties, but it's also something that we can harvest the top portion of that plant and create bioplastics with and, and plug into another place in the market to, you know, to help move the needle on sustainability and, and reliance on self more than on petroleum based materials. So I think that there's some really cool things to be said there. And I think places like the Dakotas and places like Montana and Colorado and places in the Great Plains that do struggle with waterfall, you know, this is really, really critical. And sometimes it takes that little bit of change in the in the diversity in your rotation to open things up and open up new channels in the soil to help replenish our furs. You know, I mean the the water that falls from the sky can help to make an impact in replenishing our water aquifer systems, um, but we have to be able to get it infiltrated through the soil profile. And if all it's going to do is run off the top because of the way that we're managing our soils, then we're not we're we're, we're hurting, right? So then it goes back to remember I, I said at the beginning that filter is this either helping or hurting soil quality. Right. So um, changing something that's going to improve soil quality in some way through water infiltration, through biological diversity, through nutrient cycling, uh, you know, just it's it's it can be done. But we have to kind of think outside the box and stop putting cover crops in, in that box and think of it maybe as not just a cover, but maybe having some type of multipurpose. I know people that will use yellow peas for a cover, but are also harvesting the peas for a, a commodity purpose or for a forage purpose, you know? So there's a great example of something that was traditionally considered part of the cover crop um, under the cover crop umbrella of, of crop selections. But in fact, it does have some type of marketability at the end at the end of the season here. So we can, you know, do multiple things with that. And um, I think that'll be the way that these arid, more arid um, regions can become more resilient uh, by expanding their crop rotations in that way. 
Yeah, I think that's key. Uh, bringing that up, it's 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 about having creativity in your cropping system too. I actually had an interview yesterday with a producer, a very large produce producer farm manager out in northwestern Kansas around the Colby area, that was talking about doing more of an interseeding situation on his pivots and and bringing in the cover crop in with the corn for the grazing, um, you know, to create the silage and everything like that. So having that creativity and flexibility, that's something you as a consultant can help bloom um, within your clients. And I think that's, I think that's absolutely fantastic. And let's wrap this up, but you've got my brain really spinning about the incorporation of hemp products. And I think I have a few people that I want to call up next and just get a little bit more perspective, but I want you to come back on the podcast and let's do this again really quickly. What is your favorite crop to work with right now? I mean, you've already mentioned hemp. So if it's hemp, tell me and tell me why, or, you know, I know that you're working on different uh, specialty crops and vineyards and, you know, grapes. What's, what's your favorite thing right now? Um, right now I've been, um, really down the rabbit holes in, in the vineyard production. Um, and I think, I think it's partially, obviously hemp is my, is like my first love. Um, and, and I have a tremendous amount of respect and I put a, a ton of energy into that space. Um, but I would say that competitively to that would have to be great production. And I think why that is so inspiring to me and just really I'm thriving in that right now happens to be because for, for whatever reason, okay, there's, and, and I think that there's a multiple, multiple reasons that have driven this, but there's a huge movement within the winemaking space to become more sustainable and more cognizant of their water usage. And we can grow grapes in all kinds of crazy, like rocky terrain and poor soils. And, you know, I mean, there's certain places that are like the land of milk and honey for grape production. Um, but most of the time having vigorous plants, isn't really the goal having well-managed, um, intentionally pruned plants is the goal and then allowing your fruit to thrive. And, um, so like kind of different than what we kind of think in, in mainstream ag, where we want, we're all about, you know, 100% about having the lush giant green biomass plants. And, you know, in, in a lot of our, you know, a lot of our tree fruit production is this way too, but, you know, as an industry, the fruit industry, I think is very hyper aware of their responsibility to manage water waste. And, um, and so as a result, it naturally opens the door for somebody like me to come in and talk about water infiltration and talk about soil quality and find cool cover crop blends that can support the, you know, nutrient release to the, to the vines without, you know, over creating excessive vigor. And we can create these biodynamic systems that require less and less pesticides, which is also huge in that, in that space. Um, so it isn't, I think there's, I think that there's certain places or, or companies that are most definitely cha chasing labels and um, chasing, uh, you know, checking boxes, but by and large, there's a really neat community of people. I like hanging out with the cellar dwellers, right? Like it's not the wine tasting rooms. And although I do enjoy that part, but I like hanging out with the people that are making the wine that are you know, how they have to augment the wine based on what the fruit quality coming out of the field was. I want to know how, what was your pH? What was your bricks level? How did this work out? What did you have to do in here? And then taking that back to my farm 
team, the farm managers, and say, okay, so the winemaker was struggling with bricks. What can we do to increase sugars in this, you know, without sacrificing uh, fruit quality, like their the skins, for example? So it's like this constant balance of juggling, you know, plant vigor and fruit quality and winemaking you know, potential or, or qualities, those types of things. And I really geek out on the fact that they are so open to cover crops. They are so open and receptive. When I start talking about water quality to these people, it, it means something different. So I think that's why I feel like I'm geeking out big time right now. The industry is very hungry for it. We have a thriving grape growing community here in Michigan um, in different growing segments or different growing regions. And so I build relationships with people all over within those regions. And it's just been really fun to geek out with these folks and realize that soil quality and soil health is a huge priority to them and uh, much larger than I ever dreamed um, would be. So I've been having a blast doing that and I'm looking forward to being able to, to really help these people thrive and produce stuff that they can be you know, proud of. So then it can come up in their tasting room, right? Like this wine was produced in a biodynamic system or in a regenerative ag practices system and what that means. So that's been really fun for me. I've been having a blast doing that. Well, I can tell um, if you need somebody to dwell in the cellar with you on some wine tasting, hey, I'm your girl, okay? <laughs> but I love this because throughout it all, soil health is the base of the pyramid. Soil health is, is the foundation. So. Crop Scout, Christy, Christy Apple, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Stay in touch. We want to see you in Salina, third week of January, 2023. Um, and you'll get to meet all of our amazing High Plains growers and producers and everybody um, that are really making a difference. So with that, Christy, thank you for being on the show. Thanks again, Jessica, for the invitation. And thank you to your listeners for, uh, for a fun chat. Appreciate it. Alrighty, and you can find all of the information and links to Crop Scout Christie on our webpage. Appreciate you joining us today. And for more soil health information from High Plains Journal, please sign up. Hit the subscribe button at the bottom of the page. I look forward to growing together.